0: Welcome to the Exploring Healing Arts podcast, your go-to source for learning about different healing techniques and meeting exceptional healing arts practitioners from around the globe. Together we explore where the physical meets the subtle, the possibilities that exist for healing, and a diverse array of methods to try from acupuncture to yin yoga and reiki to family constellation therapy. My name is Elizabeth Alexander. I am the creator and curator behind this podcast, a Reiki master and energy healing practitioner. This podcast is something I have dreamed of for many, many moons, and my intention is to birth the resource I wish I had had at the start of my own healing arts journey over a decade ago. Whether you are just getting started on your own journey or you are intentionally diving deeper into a healing arts practice, this podcast is the place for you. You will hear inspiring stories, get real life practical tips and connect with exceptional practitioners and teachers from around the world. No two paths in healing are the same but that does not mean you need to be alone. Join us to explore and experience healing together. Minachi is a somatic healing practitioner whose work centers the softness of meeting our best self and deepening into our collective light. Using a blend of family constellation therapy and nonviolent communication, Minachi supports inquisitive individuals and entrepreneurial change makers and reconnecting with the intuitive wisdom of your bodies so that we can co-create intergenerational healing by changing the way we speak to ourselves, each other, and the universe. Minachi holds a clinical license in occupational therapy and has historically served communities impacted by gender-based violence, complex trauma, and serious mental illness. She is the author of Decolonizing Nonviolent Communication. Welcome, Minachi. Hey, thanks for having me. So, so, so excited you're here today. So, Minachi... I guess our paths first crossed back in 2020, you were offering a series of online courses due to Zoom and the pandemic. (laughs) And I feel so blessed that I um, joined one of the courses that was being offered by Insight LA. (sighs) So that's where my journey with Minachi started. Since then, there are family constellation therapy offerings that I've gotten to participate in reflective listening skills courses whole sort of offerings that have just been so incredibly helpful in terms of skill building for me. Um, And it's just been an absolute, absolute pleasure to get to learn from you. And I'm so excited to get to share more about your work and your offerings and the way you move through the world with our listeners today. Mm.
1: That feels incredibly sweet to receive. And it has also been nice sharing space with you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. So some of the questions I like to start off with are. Just getting to know you a little bit more in your path. Can you share um, what is your ancestry and what are your roots and how do you stay connected to them or not?
1: Yeah. Okay. So some basic kind of intro stuff. My name is Minachi and I use she, her pronouns. I'm currently based on Ohlone land and my people are from Sri Lanka. We're Jafna Tamil, um, which is where my roots are.
0: Love that. Love that. In your bio, we heard, you know, you've worked, you've been in occupational therapy. You've worked with people from lots of different populations. Your work is trauma-informed. It's focused on um, embodiment practices. How did your path get started in the healing arts?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good question. Um, I think maybe I'll say how did... I have always been like a kid who was in my body, like super, super somatic. So in terms of like sensory preferences, there's um, everybody has like a different neurological threshold. So, you know, uh, so for example, like there's folks who are highly sensitive, who can feel everything really, really fast. And then there's folks on the other end of the spectrum who like it takes a lot of, of sensory input to make a dent. And different people have different ways of responding, but some of us are like, <laughs> I
0: need more. <laughs> so
1: always been someone like love dancing, love moving, love touching, yep. love feeling all of those good things. And so I started off in the arts. Uh, I So I was born in 1983, which is also the year there was a... So in Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka's history is vast, and there's so many different things to say. Um, but 1983 was a big escalation in ethnic conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that has always been like uh, part of the background of my life. And so I went into theater and the arts because it's like storytelling is a form of revolution and sharing what it is that matters to us. So I feel like that was my first kind of like foray into anything healing, right? Like just telling our stories and then theater, you feel so much in your body and you develop a practice of of understanding where things live in your body. And then for me personally, uh, 2009 was when the war in Sri Lanka ended and it ended in a very painful and dramatic way. And I I think along with a lot of other people in the diaspora had kind of like a, a crisis of conscience of like, what am I doing with my life and where am I and where am I going? And made a pretty hard pivot into mental health. So then I started volunteering at my local Suicide Prevention Center. Mm-hmm. Um, so shout out to SVC, LA, mm-hmm. Dede Hirsch, the best training for for reflective listening, crisis stabilization, love, love, love that space. Um, and then just started working in other areas, started doing uh, rape crisis advocacy, working with system-involved youth, um, kids who are being trafficked or engaging in sex work, either by choice or force. And And it kind of just like kept going in different loops and different directions until I landed where I am today, which is uh, like a solo practitioner who has these modalities in my pockets that I love using for collective spaces or individual services.
0: That's beautiful. And it sounds like your path has been nonlinear in some ways as well. It's been a bit of figuring it out. (laughs) Yeah. Also, I
1: see what you're doing over there because like healing is nonlinear. And so you're like your path is not, I saw you connect
0: those dots. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, so many pivotal experiences, it sounds like has shaped your journey. Have there been like any impactful teachers books or courses? Like you, you gave a shout out to the center where you worked in LA, but I'm wondering like, what were some of the experiences that helped you land on the offerings that you, you provide in both individual and group contexts?
1: Oh, okay. I have a a question. Is the question like, what are the tools or things that have resourced me on my journey? Or is the question, how did I know that these were the things I wanted to do?
0: I want to ask both, but let's start. <laughs> let's start with how did I know that these were things that I wanted to do?
1: Yeah, I think the answer to that one is because I feel good when I'm doing them, mm-hmm. and I am I f- feel I am good at them. So specifically, mm-hmm. nonviolent communication, supporting like the tools of NVC, which is the acronym for nonviolent communication. The way that I have sort of deconstructed, reconstructed, it is also incorporating the body. So, supporting people in like first feeling what your body is feeling. And then, once you can feel a physical sensation, connecting that sensation to a vocabulary word of a feeling and a need. Mm -hmm. And from that vocabulary, developing an understanding of, okay, now what is it that I want to do? So, a lot of times we feel an urgency or a sensation of wanting to do something, but not actually knowing. What the need is coming from, not knowing what the need is, and also not thoroughly exploring our options for what how we could engage or what the possible choices are. So for NVC, I I love it for that, and I like I had started my journey with NVC as a whole comedy story, but <laughs> it's, it's it's been with me for about twenty years and um, traveling and mutating. And then I was introduced to family constellation work in 2017 through Sarah Payton, who's Mm -hmm. who I just love. And most of us know that hurt people hurt people. Like we see it in our parents, in our families, you know. And that's really intellectual, because in our bodies we oftentimes still carry the guilt or the blame of like somebody else's behavior, somebody else's reactions. And I remember the first time I experienced constellation work was the first time I got to feel in my body, oh, that person's pain is not my response. It's not, I'm not responsible for the things that that person did when they were in pain. And that was a really beautiful gift.
0: Mm It sounds like a gift you've wanted to be able to share with others Mm -hmm. as well. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, I obviously, I love family constellations therapy. It really a <laughs> on me, And like my my whole being lights up when you talk about it. But I know that there are some people listening that are like, what did you say? What was that word? What does this mm-hmm. mean? Can you tell us a little bit about what family constellation therapy is and how it came into being and then like how it works? Like I know you have YouTube videos people can go and watch, but just a little little background.
1: <laughs> yeah. So first shout out to Goop and also to this Netflix this Turkish Netflix series which I still haven't watched. Have you heard there's a Netflix series right now on family con that incorporates family con. Wow. Yeah. Okay, okay, I'll Google we'll Google it before we finish so that we can <laughs> share it with folks. Um, cuz there's resources now cuz it is hard to learn and it's hard to understand without experiencing. It's a very experiential mm-hmm. modality. So Family Constellation work is rooted in Zulu medicine by Ancestry. That's where the work comes from. And then there's different stories of different people who like cultivated it. The kind of like teachers I've studied with have come from Bert Hellinger, who was a Jesuit missionary who lived in South Africa for many years. And then when he went back to Germany, he brought the tools, combined them with like psychotherapy things that were happening in Germany at the time. and then developed this modality called Family Constellation Therapy. So that's a little bit of its the its background and ancestry.
0: Okay,
1: And then the way the work works, you have a client who's called the seeker, and the seeker identifies something that they'd like to feel freer or less stuck in their life. And the premise is if we have a block in our current life path, like we just can't figure it out, we seem to be repeating a pattern, we can't find a particular answer chances are it's connected to an ancestral pattern, an ancestral limitation, an ancestral belief that has epigenetically been passed down to us, that we are carrying somebody else's stuff that's preventing us from being able to move into or be with our own freedom and our own life path. And I think the thing that I love about the particular school of family constellation therapy that I come from, and and the other kind of like healing practitioners, ancestral practitioners that I've learned from is the idea that our ancestors don't want us to carry their baggage. They actually don't need us to heal anything on behalf of them. Healing takes place when we stop trying to do other people's work and just do what is ours. And that's actually what sets the whole lineage free. It creates a ripple effect where everybody kind of gets to do what is rightfully theirs, and it puts us back into re- right relationship. I know I didn't answer, like, how does it work, but that's the underlying premise of what the work seeks to do.
0: Yeah. And what you just said at the end about, you know, it, it reorients us to focus on what is ours to heal, and it kind of releases that which is. Um, a part of the system but not necessarily our scary that gave me so much breath <laughs> like even though we're not like participating in <laughs> like a consolation just hearing that i hope some people find that affirming <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so in the context of you know any of your offerings one of the things that i really like to highlight is physical energy and subtle energy and their interplay and their interrelatedness. And I know I I can say from having experienced family constellation work that we go through and we identify one of these patterns and I experience shifts in my being. And sometimes that manifests in physical changes that I see in the way I'm relating to people or things or environments around me. Are there any examples that come to mind of, yeah, some subtle and physical interplay that you could share?
1: Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been thinking about just changes that I have been experiencing w- and ways in which it's kind of like, so family constellation work, it's like you're, you know, if you think about changing a pattern, right? Mm-hmm. The thing about a pattern is it's got a long history. It really <laughs> knows how to stick, right? Mm-hmm. So when we're shifting into a new pattern, it's kind of like we got to run that groove a few times in order for the water to flow in that direction. Mm. And I've been speaking on sovereignty so much and facilitating on sovereignty so much and on for other people. And then on Saturday, so I'm I'm doing a, uh, I'm leading a group through a train the trainer. So I'm training other practitioners on how to do family constellation work. And what we wound up doing, I facilitated a constellation for myself. And then we mm-hmm. kind of like walked through the steps of like as like a learning tool. Cool. And it was just interesting for me to be in the observation of how much easier it was to get to certain positive beliefs that I have been wanting to get to or to like, I don't know, feel freer in some of my intimate relationships, even just after having done the work for so long, just noticing how much more accessible it feels like to, to believe good things about myself or to believe that like particular future dreams are possible. Mm. And I've had like clients share other stories. Like I had a client who we did some work for her around money. And the next day she messaged me and she was like, I just had a wonderful, she was like, I've had the most lucrative day so far. And
0: <laughs> yeah, had another
1: person who shared that we had done some pretty intense work around one of their, a person that they co-parent with. Mm -hmm. And shortly after our work, again, they messaged me and they were like, I just had a functional conversation with them for the first time in five years. And so there are also just, again, because if we think about like a lot of times the things that block us in our relationships... It's not actually the other person. It's how we respond to the other person. It's the expectations we hold. It's the baggage of theirs that we try and carry. We try and do things for them that they don't need us to do. And when we just show up as us, it frees the system. Mm-hmm. And yeah, those are some of the stories that come up.
0: I love those. Thank you. And to clarify too, because I think sometimes, you know, with the word therapy in there, sometimes people might think more of like talk therapy where like mm. two co parents would go in with a therapist and work it together. But in the context of family constellation therapy, you can have people be representatives really to mirror back your relationship or the patterns. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. And I really like to remind people, right? Mm-hmm. Our family is not just our biological mm-hmm. family, right? The air is part of our family, wood mm. is part of our family, like there's straw in this chair that was built by hands of people, right? Like who are did work and labor to bring this chair to me that are part of my family, our family. So Sometimes I'll just call it constellation work um, because it's like putting the dots together of like, what are the images that we want to create and how do we want to make meaning out of like our lives? Yeah. So that it doesn't just have to do with family. It actually, like most of what I facilitate, I mean, that's not true. Like oftentimes what I facilitate does have to do with direct family dynamics, but a lot of times there are m- many more elements besides just a family member.
0: Beautiful. It's, that's really expansive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, another thing that I really, you know, appreciate about your practice is facilitating and holding spaces as someone who is trauma informed and trauma sensitive. Can you share some of the ways that that shows up in practice? Mm-hmm. Like some of the things that, you know, you go to mm-hmm. to keep your spaces facilitated in that way? Yeah. So
1: I think some of the things that I try and do to keep my spaces tender and sensitive to trauma is I try and pace it in a sort of slow way, or maybe let me rephrase that. Sometimes the work is intense, but I try to pace it in a way that allows people to have choice, right? Mm-hmm. So I always start, I generally speaking, will start my classes on time because that's a need for me. I get dysregulated if we start late. So I will almost always start precisely on the dot and we'll tell people, if you arrive after we've started, you're not late. Please just show up because you're welcome, right? So like just trying to keep aspects and elements non-judgmental and spacious. Um, And then I think the other thing, healing work is so tricky. I was really, really thinking today about some missteps, mistakes, things that I've done and the dots that were connecting for me. There are some things that are true in the world, but if it's a truth that is out of attunement with what is needing to be said or needing to be heard at that time, it causes damage and it doesn't actually... Help heal anything. Mm-hmm. So, part of trauma informed care is developing a skill of attunement to what is actually needed to be said in the space, named in the space, brought into the space, so that the healing work can actually be effective for the client, the collective, whoever it is that's working.
0: Mm-hmm. I have to say, just, you know, the experiences that I've had, I feel like. Practicing and learning about nonviolent communication, especially like from a decolonizing point of view, and family constellation therapy, has been tremendously helpful. My reflective listening skills, you know, have improved tremendously. Shout out to my empathy buddy. (laughs) We we still meet nine months later. I I I love that. it's, It's the best, and I think that some like a big part of the gift that I've experienced is actually just being a participant and being witness to the way that you facilitate because I'm someone who used to come into a Mm -hmm. space like I think just so many years of school like the bell rings you're late like you have to do it this way you have to raise your hand you can't attend to your autonomy like if you need to go to the bathroom or something like all of that just like. Coming into your spaces and having consistent touch points where we're invited to be as we are and show up as we are and invited into meet each other from this trauma informed lens and meet ourselves there. It's just been really impactful, so I wanted to say thank you. (laughs) Thanks for being there. (laughs) So you talk about too, you know, I know both in. Decolonizing nonviolent communication, which is your book, and we'll link to that for anybody who wants to order it and check it out. And in courses you facilitate, you you reference this earlier, you provide, you know, body sensation lists to help people attune and have a vocabulary for what they may be experiencing. And I really feel like body sensations are just such a great point where the physical and the subtle meet right and it's a great way to observe how they interact and how they interplay can you tell us about how you how they body sensations inform your work both in terms of facilitating experiences for others and on your own journey
1: Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. First, I'll just share that body sensations list was like one of the <laughs> funnest things to make. I had so, so much fun. So much fun. I love that, that little list. I feel a lot in my body often. It is how I facilitate. It's how I know that a conversation is going well. Something I'll say about myself like in conversations with like colleagues or like coaches or whatever, you know. I don't always know the right thing to do, like if I'm facilitating or, you know, I don't always know what the right thing is, but I can usually sense in my body when something is on track or off track, because you could just, it's like, I don't know, you can feel it. It's like when you can smell something sour or like when milk has gone bad. And I shouldn't say, I shouldn't say like you can feel it as if anybody or everybody can, I can feel it when something is on track or off track. And I think because that has always been my sort of North Star, the physical sensations is why I bring it into um, healing work so much. And also because I think our bodies are like living <laughs> legends you know, of, of everything that has been handed down to us. So all the information and also all the resources are there. Mm
0: -hmm. And to somebody who's newer on their like embodiment journey, like someone like me who might bust out the vocab sheet and feel a little bit like, I'm not even sure where to start. You know, what would you recommend for people that are just trying to attune and like build their vocabulary and build their ability to share with others and understand what they're feeling or experiencing? Hmm.
1: Yeah. So I'll always invite people to actually start with acknowledgement of the things you can do. If you can tell when you are hungry, or if you can tell when you have to go to the bathroom, or if you can tell the difference between when you have to pee and when you have to poop. You know, <laughs> those are really, really subtle ways that you're actually already tapped in tuned in, turned on Mm -hmm. to things that are happening in your body. And it is also true that there's a lot of people for a lot of different reasons who can't gauge or track some of those things, sometimes from things that have happened related to trauma, sometimes from things that have related to neurodivergence, it's harder to feel what's Mm -hmm. inside. But even with those things, It's not actually because there's anything wrong with your body. Usually it's because the environment has been so overwhelming that your body hasn't found space for sufficient peace to just relax and feel itself or feel what wants to be known, right? So just offering the invitation that if any of this feels like you can't do it, it's not because you're doing something wrong, right? You just haven't met the conditions that have allowed your body to relax enough to feel more aware. And then would say like, if you can get yourself, I feel like self-forgiveness is like a hard,
0: that's
1: hard. Um, But if you can get yourself (laughs) to a place where you're not beating yourself up for what you don't know, Then just like do little things and little practices. Find a fabric that you really like and practice touching that. Practice touching it when you're feeling happy. Practice touching it when you're feeling sad and notice how it changes your mood or how the texture of the fabric feels different. I'm a big fan of like like really small moments of noticing. So like when you're washing dishes, do you Mm -hmm. like the texture of the dish? Do you like the weight of the dish? Do you like the color? Is there anything, you know, or I have forks that I love and I have forks that I, (laughs) give me big, heavy forks only, please. Like Heavy forks only. (laughs)
0: Totally.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Just noticing what's the soup spoon you like? Why do you like that one so much? Yeah. And beginning, beginning to notice there. And, and then the other thing is like, a lot of times people people will only start paying attention to their body when it feels bad, right? Like you'll, you'll only start caring once the migraine hits or once the panic attack is like, all, you know, we're already over the edge. And it's like, like these are not necessarily times to learn because these are times where you have to like regulate. But if you can find ways to notice when your body is doing really well, like when do you feel pleasure? When do you feel warm, etc. cetera? it'll become easier to notice when your body is swinging in the other
0: direction. Mm, the contrast is helpful. Yeah. love that. So diving back to the question that you clarified earlier on your own, you know, journey and healing and then and, and stepping into this role of a, you know, as a solo practitioner that you're now doing, what are, you know, People or practices or learning tools that have helped you to be well resourced?
1: So many. I think some of the people and teachers that I'll give shout outs to are Jayanthi Siva, Nancy Kahn, Patrick Mims, you know, everybody at SPC, Barbara and Sandra Kramer, like so many people over there who really just like trained me up. And I think that. That also is one of the things that I have loved about my trajectory is that a lot of my teachers have just been people with lived experience and who were working in community and care spaces that mattered to them. Like I I do have one teacher from graduate school, Dr. Carrie Kingsley, who I adore. And there's other teachers that I adored there, but like I wouldn't credit my graduate school for teaching me something that I didn't already know. My graduate school gave me letters after my name that allowed me to do a certain thing in the world, but my real teachers have been some of the folks that I mentioned earlier, as well as the clients that I've served.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel that you've talked about your teachers and the support that you've received. When And how do you discern that it's like, it's time for you to receive a family constellation piece of work, or it's time for you to go to a practitioner who maybe specializes in something else. And how do you discern who to work with?
1: Oh, that's a good question. In terms of discerning who to work with, it's usually intuition, timing, and what flows. So like I have a, one of the people who I would see quarterly, my tarot practitioner, she it's been really interesting there was a part of me that was like I wonder if it's time to transition from her and then the last two times I've like texted her to be like can we set up a card ring there's just been no response and I know she's like she's doing shit on Instagram like she and she's also like liking my stuff like we're still very connected it's not like she's blocked me right she just hasn't replied to my text and I'm like okay maybe and in terms of like how often one of the things Pat taught me this, um, and then Dr. Jolly Boyd Phillips, who's another teacher that I love, is that self-care is an ethical practice. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be receiving self-care in order to do things well for your clients. Um, I don't have it used to be that I would go to my tarot practitioner, my akashic record reader once a quarter. And then I have been recently thinking I need to get some body work in. Mm -hmm. Because that'll be a good thing, but I guess in terms of, I don't have a concrete schedule right now, and Mm -hmm. that's on the to do list.
0: (laughs) Part of the to do list. I love it. I love it. I love it. And when you do do, you know, these sessions with, you know, other practitioners, or maybe it's you do a, you know, a piece of constellation work on yourself. How do you ground and integrate this into Mm -hmm. like what you do? Oh. I don't know if
1: I've thought about that very much. I don't know that I have a quest or an answer to this one. Maybe can I ask you, will you say more about like this question or where the question comes from?
0: Yeah, totally. So I think the question is coming from like, how do these self-care practices that, like you said, you know, it's an important component of being a practitioner. How do these like build you up as a practitioner or inform the work that you're choosing to do?
1: They make me softer. They make Mm -hmm. me softer. They make me more uh, neutral. Mm -hmm. And by neutral, I just mean like the key to client work in a strange way is not caring what the client does, right? Like trusting that the client will get wherever it is that they want to get, do whatever it is that they want to do. And then we're there as a practitioner with like tools to guide something, but really letting the client direct work. And so when I get like, you know, like sometimes we see people do things and we're like, why are you doing that? (laughs) Like, well, Mm. it's their life path. Um, (laughs) And so (laughs) the softer, more relaxed, less charged I am, Mm -hmm. the more I'm able to hold space in in a way that is reflective, but that is not directive.
0: Mm, Beautiful reflective, but not directive. I love that. So if you could go back and tell a younger version of you that was, you know, newer to your healing arts journey or newer to stepping into the solo practitioner work, anything, what would you tell them?
1: I might say you can do less and be slower. And I feel like that's something that I'm probably asking five year from now me to tell me right now. <laughs> like some, someone tell me that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh-huh. love 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 that <laughs> So we're gonna dive into some rapid fire questions. Let's go. Okay, ready? <laughs> Just short, sweet, quick answers. So where is your favorite place in nature to be in?
1: Oh, my favorite place in nature. It's really becoming places where I can see a body of water. I don't necessarily have to touch it, but it's visually I can see it. mm. What is your human design? It's the boring one. I think it's the generator, the one where
0: you're like, so basic. (laughs) It's not boring. Generators, like I always say generators are so, so needed. (laughs) I feel like you're a projector or (laughs) are a man. Are you? Wait, no. Okay. I'm I'm a manifestor. You're a
1: manifestor. Okay, okay, okay.
0: Mm-hmm. What is your beverage of choice right now?
1: Okay, so I was thinking about this. So right, water is was my answer when like (laughs) water is the the
0: answer. But right now, the spin drift is also doing me real good. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. What is your top tip for good energy hygiene? A water. That one. definitely. <laughs>
1: I have a half a gallon jug that I've worked through all day. It's water.
0: <laughs> Do you have, I feel like I think I saw this somewhere. Yeah. Does it have like marks on it that help you? It
1: does. But I try to get the, it doesn't, I don't like use that as tracking. I think, I think all the bottles out there have like markers on them. I just like, it's a half gallon and I just know top to bottom. Every day.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Stay hydrated, folks. (laughs) Can can I tell you? I um, I recently had a conversation with someone
1: and they were like, water? Oh, they said hydration is like lotion for your bones. And I, that was like, yeah. So I'm just going to offer that to folks. Put some lotion on your bones.
0: (laughs) All right. Our last rapid fire question. How would you define healing?
1: Ooh. The words that just came up right now are feeling good with yourself.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's such a beautiful share. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So where can people find you? What services do you offer? Like how can they connect?
1: Yes. Okay. My website is so easy and so beautiful. It's my name, www.minachi.com. You can also find me on Instagram at with.minachi. And then in terms of what can we do together, what are the options, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So I'll be doing an intro to decolonizing nonviolent communication in fall. And I don't know when this, obviously this episode is going to air. We may have already started, in which case you can catch the recordings. Those will be available for purchase. And then I run practice groups for DNVC and family constellation work and also do individual sessions and i do like if you work at an org or a collective and you're wanting some training in either one of these things you can call me up for that too
0: love that and we'll be linking to all of minachi's links in the show notes too so if you want to just click on through you can find her the book there as well and highly 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 recommend getting on her mailing list (laughs) and checking it out So thank you so much, Minachi, for joining us today. I really, really appreciate your shares, your presence. Man, I know I've gotten so much from experiencing pieces of work with you and learning. And I just, I hope that this inspires other people to follow through on what lands in their bodies.
1: Thanks for having me, Elizabeth. I really enjoyed this conversation.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Exploring Healing Arts podcast. I hope that our words, our stories, and the wisdom shared on today's episode inspire you and support you in feeling connected. If you loved this episode, please leave us a five-star review so we can reach more people. And as a thank you for listening, join me for a mini course on energy hygiene. You get three simple practices you can do anywhere, anytime to support you in feeling more grounded, Connected to yourself and confident in your energetic boundaries. Sign up at energyhealingelizabeth.com elisabeth.com slash energy hygiene. Thanks for being here today, and I look forward to being with you again soon. The primary purpose of the Exploring Healing Arts podcast is to inspire and educate. As a reminder, the information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We encourage you to speak with your doctor for professional medical advice or treatment. Opinions offered on this podcast are just that, opinions.